Hey everyone, welcome to episode 60 of the Great Divide podcast. I cannot believe that we have done 60 episodes, um, but, well, we haven't done 60 yet. This is our 60th, but uh, it's hard to believe, but it's it's been fun. It still is fun, and welcome my co-host, as always, Svein from Norway. Hello, Svein. Hello, happy 60. Happy 60th to you. It seems like just yesterday we were uh, celebrating our 50th. Yeah, it, it that's been pretty quick. Yeah, very quick. It's been rushing by. It's well, a flurry of episodes. Well, we, we have something that's even better than anything we did on the 50th today for everyone. And so we, we'll just shut up and introduce our special guest. And that is uh, the return of the one-headed king himself, Bruce Watson, is joining us today. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Happy 60th. <laughs> Thank you very much. When we turn 60 in the UK, we get a free bus pass and we can travel anywhere in the UK absolutely free. So I'm just waiting on mine. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. nice. Well, well, Bruce, I mean, did you ever think that uh, a podcast about you and your band would last, would even start and uh, number two would last for 60 episodes? No, never, never, <laughs> never in 60 years would I have dreamt that one up. You know what I mean? It's only recently I found out what a podcast was, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, me too, actually, not too long ago. <laughs> but, uh, well, we're, we're thrilled to have you as always. It's awesome. You need, you, to, you need to clock up the amount of hours you've done over those 60 podcasts, and I bet you it's insane. That's John's job. <laughs> well, he has to do something, doesn't he? We could do it because we've got, uh, you know, all of them up and the the – time for each one of them is listed so i i'm afraid to look at it to be honest yeah well john you can um, count up the, the hours in fact i bet it runs into days <laughs> oh yeah, there's no doubt <laughs> i think anything the, you say boss <laughs> <laughs> i think the steel town series that we did alone ran into days so <laughs> anyway buffalo skinners was 12 hours alone oh my, oh my gosh this is crazy yeah we, talk, we talked about that for 12 hours Anyway, <laughs> God, <laughs> not at once, not at once. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, well, anyway, we're we're so excited to have Bruce here today. We've got some questions of our own to ask him, and we've got some of uh, our listener questions that they sent in. So we've picked some of the the non filthy ones to. Well, we, maybe we'll have some filthy ones too to ask. Him. <laughs> okay, but uh, I, I guess the best place to start is is sort of uh, where we left off on the show last time, which was talking about the Australian tour. I mean, we never really got your perspective on it. So, what what's your uh, what did your what's your takeaway from that whole experience? Finally, getting to Australia and performing all of those shows. Oh, I absolutely loved every single minute of it. Uh, I mean, the, the, to get this bit out of the way, the worst bit is actually getting there and coming home because the. The flight is is just pure torture. It's uh, you know a day and a half or whatever it was. But I mean, we got down to New Zealand. I mean, that was the first port of call. So you can imagine how horrendous the flight was getting there. But once we got there and we had a, a day and a half off to acclimatise and kind of got in, and obviously adrenaline keeps you going as well. I mean, I loved the place. I did not have one single kind of bad moment in Australia and New Zealand, apart from occasionally, you know, the, the jet lag kicking in. Uh, I thought the people were amazing. Um, some of the clubs that we played at were just fantastic, you know, and 
hopefully we'll get back there. Um, they're talking about in between doing it a year to 18 months and going back and doing more shows. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Oh, that's that's awesome. It, it seemed like the, the reception that you guys got too was, I mean, you, if you heard the last podcast, I think you did it. You could probably hear that in the voices of and the stories of the guests that we had. But it, it seemed like they were just so thrilled to finally have you on their soil and to be able to see you. I mean, did you get that feeling from the crowd were they were they a little bit even more into it than maybe you're used to because you hadn't been there for so long i mean was- i think so yeah and a lot, a lot of people turned up um similar age group to to, to ourselves where they had like copies of the original ticket stubs and um adverts from local papers where it said we should have been out there way back in 1980 whatever it was meant to be you know and it's like well that's 30 odd years ago it's you know it's crazy why didn't we why didn't we come out here? You know, we, it's the same way America as well. You know, we, we always always do the UK quite a lot, obviously, because it's convenient. We live here. But, you know, we've been out to other places, you know, played in the Arctic Circle at one point as well, you know. So it's like, why why we never went there and why we didn't tour America as much as what we should have done. But we, we can't do two places at the one time, you know. But now that we've done it and we know that we can do it, it's, uh, we're definitely going back, definitely. So you've done Australia after a lot of years. Uh, how about uh, other exotic markets? Do you have anything in your site? I know you have a fan group in Brazil. I'm just asking to preempt some questions later while we're sort of in the jet-lagged part of the show. Okay, Dick. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy to go most places. Uh, but again, it's down to whether a promoter is willing to take the chance. I mean, obviously, we've never been out to South America. Uh, I don't know how well our records did out there or if they even know of us in South America. Um, for speaking to the guys in Nazareth, who are obviously from Dunfermline, they're out in South America quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But they've obviously had hits out there. So really, it's just down to our agent um, getting in touch with promoters in different countries and seeing if anything's going to stick. I mean, I never thought we'd have got to Australia and New Zealand. But right. our agent got in touch with people out there. Um, I think some promoters thought it might be a bit risky, but other promoters thought, no, let's try it. And if it works, we'll bring the guys back. So it's just a matter of other, other people having a bit of faith in, in what you can do, you know. Right. So this is a challenge we're sending out to the super fans in all these locations. Contact your local promoters, see if they're <laughs> interested, connect them to Big Country's booking agent and take it from there. Yeah, and you never know, we might be touring Scandinavia, but who knows? That'd be <laughs> yeah. good. That would be good. You might have a fan or two up here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I know at least one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you have quite a few. I just wanted to jump right into the seer because I mean that's the big thing on the horizon. And I know that you said and I, I saw a a post from Scott Whitley earlier today where he said the, the band was going into full rehearsals next week. Yes. So t- talk a little bit about um, how those rehearsals are going. I know you probably haven't had the band versions yet, but how, how have you been preparing for this? Uh, it's similar to what we did with the Steel Town stuff um, and even the Crossing stuff or whenever we do something new. Basically, because we're geographically all over the shop in the UK, it's Jamie and myself, we go into our little studio and we do our homework. <laughs> um, Scott does it on his own. 
and Simon does it his on his own. And Mark, I think, is going into a rehearsal room on his own um, this week to, to work on the drums. And what happens is everybody, the procedure for Jamie and I, obviously, is guitars. So we, we kind of work out who's going to do what part. What overdubs, obviously, we're going to have to leave out because you need a, you know, four guitars or whatever. So we work out the the main basics, watch a bit of YouTube footage of what Stuart and I were doing back then. And we, we just take it from there. And what we're going to do is next week we go into a, a rehearsal studio for two days. And the reason we do that is basically it's just to work out backing vocals, who's going to do what and how to start a song and how to end a song, you know, because when you've recorded a song, or written a song in a studio and recorded it, you don't know how to end it half the time. And that's why there's a lot of fades, you know, and it's like, oh, we just faded it out because we didn't know how to end it. So you, you kind of mm-hmm. work. It's all that kind of stuff that you do when you get into rehearsals and work out who's going to do which harmony because there's certain voices work for certain harmonies and certain ones that don't. So that's the reason for that. Musically, it's all taken care of because the homework's done beforehand. So musically, it's just like, yeah, that, that's fine. But it's mainly vocals, backing vocals. Oh, wow. That, that's really an interesting point I hadn't thought of. That's uh, That makes total sense. Well, let me ask you this, um, because I, I know that when the album came out, I, I remember reading some interviews and Stuart was saying how there was a lot more uh, space musically in the album versus Steel Town that preceded it. Yep. Um, did you feel that too as you were as you were uh, relearning these parts and going through the the pieces was it easier than when you had to relearn Steel Town and learn the parts for that yeah I think so definitely on Steel Town because the mix was really dense and there was so much going on it was kind of hard to pick out what was going on with certain guitar parts and I used to put the track on and I'd put it into a a sound processing uh, program on the computer and just mess around with the frequencies uh, to pick out certain things but Scott turned me on to an interesting thing he gave me this program and it's it's quite a naff kind of program it's it's for karaoke singers right and what you do is it removes the vocals from um, um, songs but what you can do is you can pan it left and right and as you're doing that it brings up certain things certain guitar parts or certain bass things, the, the vocals kind of, they disappear when it's in the middle, but when you move it to the left or right, the vocals come back in, but also other other overdubs come back in, and it's like, wow, I forgot about that bit, you know, it's like, um, I think it was on the Red Fox, and I was trying to work out, there's two twin harmony guitars going on towards the end of Red Fox, and I'm going, which one did I play, and which one did Stuart play, and I was like, try to work it out, and I went further and further over to the right of the spectrum, and all of a sudden a slide guitar overdub came out that I did. <laughs> and I'd completely forgotten all about it, you know, and it was this, oh my God, there's an acoustic slide overdub right at the very end, uh, which obviously, obviously we're not going to do that, but um, it's, it was kind of buried in the mix. But You know, Bruce, I th- I'm sure the Miller mix pronounced that slide guitar. <laughs> it probably would have done. <laughs> it probably would have done. It's like a fantastic jigsaw puzzle. And it's very daunting when you start, but once you get into it, it's, it becomes fun, you know. You probably have a song on the album that you're looking forward to getting into and playing live, and you probably have one that you sense is a bit of work, and you kind of indicated Red Fox was one of those. But is there one that you're particularly looking forward to? I'm, I'm actually looking forward to doing the ones that 
Um, like Steel Town, I'm looking forward to doing the ones that were never performed by the principal lineup. Mm. Um, just because we had so many songs back then, and you can only, I think, because we had all the hits on the first album, you, you can't not do them. Um, but it, it was great doing things like the Great Divide from the Steel Town album uh, last year. Uh, mm. So I, I think this time round, it's definitely going to be like the Sailor and Red Fox. I think are going to be the ones I'm really looking forward to doing. You know, mm. yeah, that, and uh, also look away. <laughs> nice, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Hey, uh, I I I'm so excited to hear the sailor, especially. I, so I'm completely with you there. That's that's going to be quite a moment. I think, yeah. I think a lot of people are excited to hear that one. That's such an epic song. Um, well, I, I mean, Bruce, as you've gone through these, have you have you kind of revisited or rediscovered any memories you had of that period? What's your what's your feeling of the album as a whole now that you've kind of really dissected it? Have you thought about it more lately than you have in years? Yeah, but I haven't actually thought about what was going on at the time. But um, there's a few memories. I mean, obviously, Look Away. I mean, funnily enough, that was the backing track for that was recorded at Rack Studios. And I'd forgotten all about that until I got back in. And I went, well, hold on a minute. We, we did do that at Rack. Um, I think it was in the winter. And we, we kind of broke up after that for the, for the holidays. And then we went back into the power plant. So... Even when you hear Mark's drums on that, you can actually hear the sound of the room, you know, the, the, the same places we did the crossing. Um, obviously, the, the, the title track, The Seer, with, with Kate Bush, was just absolutely amazing. And mm. I would still like to get Holy Robin's mix on that because her voice, it was a proper duet between uh, Kate Bush and Stuart. But obviously, as we all know, on the, the remix, which is the one that came out, her voice is kind of buried a little bit. But I was doing a, I was doing an interview today with Classic Rock magazine, and it, I, it just came into my head. The guy was asking about memories of Kate Bush and how it came about, and I said, "Well, basically, we were listening to some Kate Bush stuff, and Stuart had said, like, it wouldn't be great if we could get somebody like Kate Bush to sing on this track this year." And Robin went, "Oh, I'll just get in touch with a record company and phone her up, and you know, and that's what happened." And we sent her a cassette, and she came in maybe a few days later, a week later, did the, did the track. And it was weird because in the power plant, the, the, the control room was up the stairs and the, 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 the studio room was down the stairs. And Kate would do, you know, a few lines of a song and then she would stop. And then you would hear this kind of scratching sound. And I'm going, what's that scratching <laughs> sound? And look at the glass window and she's, after every take, she was lighting up a cigarette. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow. Uh, that's great. That's so funny. Now, you did say memories of Kate Bush, right? Mm. Not memories. No, I said memories. <laughs> just kidding you. I, I didn't look. It would be rude to, be, to look. It would be very, very ungentlemanly. Well, you know, Robin Robin Miller is on record as... as referencing referencing those as being magnificent that's what he said so yes but robin's um he's eyesight. blind right yes <laughs> <laughs> i know i thought that was strange too well robin's the only guy that i know that used to come up at his work with odd socks and he would <laughs> sit <laughs> he wouldn't mind me saying this he would sit at the mixing desk and robin when robin used to smoke cigarettes as well and will gosling would be to his right hand side mixing and with Robin being partially blind at the time, he could never find the ashtray, so he would always stub, stub his cigarette out. It was always on Will's hand, you know, <laughs> as he was mixing. <laughs> and all you could hear was, ah, Robin, ah. 
Now, was he was he blind then uh, completely, or was he in the process of losing his sight? I mean, how, I, I, how I did that was, work? I think it was partially, partially at that time. Okay. So he could maybe see enough or, or maneuver enough to do what he needed to do, I guess, to... Yeah, he still needed assistance as well, though, but um, I think it obviously got, got worse as, as the, you know, the further it went on. Right. Uh, I haven't spoken with Robin for a, a little while now, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. Right, right. Wow. Mm. But what a great guy. And to me, it was like a breath of fresh air, you know, just getting in that studio with Robin and putting those songs together. He was really got right into the arrangements and parts and stuff like that, you know. And I, I had a cassette of the Robin's mix and it's just got lost in the midst of time, you know. But oh. as we now know, it's like the, the history with that album. <clears throat> I mean, I, I could maybe have come across as having like, gripes about it but the mix and stuff like that but or Dave Bates but the thing is Dave Bates was probably right we had three hits off that record so <laughs> right. you know <laughs> Robin, Robin's mix sounded more like what we sound like live it didn't have the big reverby drum sounds and you know that sort of rev seven you can tell all the instruments and all the effects that were used it's you can just hear them you know you know while we're on the subject of the of his mix I mean you know that we we put together a, a petition a while back, and we we still get signatures on that electronic mm. signatures. I mean, uh, as recently as uh, I think just a week ago, people still signed right. that thing, and I think it's up to about fifteen hundred signatures at this point. I right. mean, that's it's, great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the problem that we run into is like we don't know we don't know what to do with it. We don't know who to give it to, who to send it to. I mean. I know this this is something that needs to come from the fans and it's not something that needs to come from the band, but is there any uh, contact or anything or anyone that you know who we could make aware of it so at least someone at Universal or wherever might right. be aware I mean, of it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could definitely put some feelers out, although I don't have any clout in that department, but there's maybe, maybe one guy I know that could maybe help out or maybe, you know, could be a key person. Um, so I could maybe mention it to that person, but um, again, it's I mean I don't know is Universal still the record label? I don't know. They always seem to change, as you know. I, stuff comes out now like every every other year, and it's like it's never been sanctioned by the band, and it's always you know I think there's a new one out with the first five albums, but yes. we don't because we don't own any of that and or any of that, it just goes out anyway. Um, at least be universal. They used to get in touch and ask for our involvement, and you know, maybe sourcing some rare photos or sleeve notes and stuff. But other stuff comes out as well, and it could be licensed by other companies that we were signed with a track or whatever. And we don't have, don't really have any say in it. Eh? So they just kind of come out. But there's never ever anything new on them. It's just just the same old stuff, but with a slightly different sleeve, you know. And that's that's about it. And, but people still buy them, but I always think, well, how many copies do you want off? No place like home or, you know, anything, something like that when there's nothing, any, anything new on it. Well, my co-host wants every copy that's released, I can tell you that. He's, it's on their way. Right? He's, a, he's a big collector of these things, so yes. Of all these things, right. <laughs> Appar- right. Apparently that version of No Place Like Home is unique because the, the first half of Kansas is missing. Are you serious? What? That's what someone said. The first half of Kansas is missing. So, oh my lord! Quality job. You have to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but that's a collector's item. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Certainly, it's justified. Uh, see, there um, should be some sort of quality control. I mean, if they got um, the, the like the principal principal members from the band 
involved, um, you wouldn't run into that kind of problem, you know. You, but check for typos and oh yeah, that, that, type, typos are good. I all that kind <laughs> of stuff. But people, but people are lazy these days. It's like, well, oh, we'll just Wikipedia, we'll Google, you know, and it's there you go. That, that's that's out there in the public domain, so it must be, it must be true or whatever, you know. It's just nuts. It's just, it's just laziness. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. you, you know, there's a. I'm curious if you're aware of this. There's a uh, uh, a CD coming out that's a compilation of the some of the gigs that you guys did in 2011. Um, it's of live a live CD. Uh, Swine could probably answer more about this than than me as far as information. But yeah, they had like a track listing, and the very first track was labeled 1,000 Years." <laughs> so instead of a thousand oh, stars, right, right. And so I, I, I don't know if you're even aware of that being released, but it's apparently like no. a, a very small uh, run of CDs. I think they said only 200 they were releasing, or 150 or something. But right. uh, that's a bit bizarre, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's strange. Has, has it been released before in this album in any shape or form? No, I, as, as far as I know, it hasn't. Um, I know uh, some- it has. Oh, it has. Okay. Yes, basically that's the couple of the gigs that were recorded and sold the same night. USB sticks. No, no, this, wow. these were CDs. This was the, this was the year before that. Uh, they did a couple of shows. One was in Sheffield, one was in London, uh, and you downloaded the, the, the third CD. Later on, uh, they kind of called uh, those two shows together to make one alleged right. uh, best of thing. <clears throat> Uh, again, I don't, I don't know nothing about that one, but uh, hey, <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's so strange that you know you guys aren't even consulting no, some of these it's things. it's bizarre, but hey, well, it's just, just <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of used to it, <clears throat> although I shouldn't be used to it. But um, you know, life's too short to go about you know <laughs> threatening legal action or if, if legal action is needed. I don't know, I don't know where it's come from. Right, right. license it to who? So. Okay. But, well, but but even though you don't own these releases or, or can't stop them, do you at least get a pittance from the sales of them? What you are you, are you referring to money? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> pittance means something else in Norway. Right. No. No. Bugger, bugger all. We call it. Welcome to bugger all. That's it. <laughs> oh, that stinks. That really stinks. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we'll move on from the seer here, but I just wanted to, you know bring that up about the mix so yeah if there's if there's anyone that you think might help with that you know feel free to send them my way i'll i'll contact them or whatever but uh right i'll, I'll, I'll get the old thinking cap on there's one person i've got in mind but we'll, okay. we'll see what happens okay and, and didn't you find like a reel-to-reel recording at one point i think oh you st- yeah we did a gig um for the the, the fourth um Roadbridge celebrations over in uh in queens ferry and one of the guys in the support band, a band called Wanny Junction, their manager turned up and he just gave me this real to real, you know, two inch real to real, the power plant label and there was three tracks on it and they were definitely Robin Miller mixes and he goes, I was working down at the power plant and they were basically going in the skip and whoever, the studio manager says, do you want this? And the guy went, well, yeah, I'm up in Edinburgh, so if I've come across any of the guys from Big Hunt, I'll hand it in. And he had it for years, and that's basically what he did. He gave me the, the real to real. Oh, wow. Wow. Hmm. So what what can you do with that? Is, is there like... What are you doing with it? I'll probably bake it. <laughs> but um, you have to bake it to stop, a, you know, to stop it oxidizing. Um, you could actually, if you had somebody, a studio that had, you know... 
a studer or you know a, a, a two inch um, reel to reel machine, you can actually go in and mix it, you know, and stick it on a stick it on a Pro Tools or something like that, and then you've got yeah, it's digitised, and then you could mix individual tracks. But I don't know who's got. I mean, it's not tech, legally; it's probably not even mine. But you know, I was going to, I was going to go into a skip anyway. So it's in my attic. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. it's it's at least nice to know that something exists from that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we get to hear it one day. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember what track. I, I, I think I, I, I emailed you what tracks were on it, but I can't even remember what tracks are on it now. Yeah. It might have been one great thing. I don't know. I think it might have been. I have to go back. <coughs> I think it was one great thing. But uh, oh, wow, well, that's that's awesome. Is do you know if there's anything? I, I'm sure we've asked this before, but I just for clarification purposes, is there anything left over from those sessions that might be unreleased or or? Nah, definitely added? not. Okay. No, but um, that was for that period. There wasn't much done in the way of demo and um, same with Steel Town as well. It was all kind of um, a little cassette player, ghetto blaster kind of thing in front of Mark's drum kit. And that that's how the, those two albums are kind of demoed. So mm. there was there wasn't really any not like in in the later days with the Why the Long Face stuff in Damascus, there wasn't excessive demoing going on in various little studios. So <laughs> Right. So okay. no, I don't I don't think there's anything. Okay. Unless, unless there's some live live gigs that have in a vault somewhere but I can't remember. I think we want to jump a bit uh, forward now to uh, well into next year. Uh, there's been planned a weekend, I believe, in May uh, in Dunfermline, a big country convention. What can no. we say about that? Is it? <coughs> no, it's, that's been that's been penciled in, but it's, it won't be happening. It's going to the the convention thing was kind of provisionally booked for then. But timing's not going to allow it, um, and people's scheduling's not going to allow it. So what we're going to do is we're going to put it back to the following year, but it'll be a different month. Ah, okay. So it's not going to be happening this May. No, I think what's happened is um, it's up on the, the agent's website, and he's just he's been on holiday and he hasn't taken it down. Oh, okay. So basically, that that there was going to be a convention, but because like there's a few timing issues, it's not going to work out for everybody, so it really should have been taken down, which I shall tell him about, but uh, there will be a convention at some point, and it has been discussed at the moment, and it's being worked on at the moment, but until we get the the five guys, you know, who, it's kind of holiday times as well, you know, so we need to get the five guys to, to come up with, 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 with a date where we can all manage, because with a convention, it's not like doing a normal gig, we want to do something a little bit special and a little bit different. Uh, so there's going to have to be rehearsal time in that. So the, yeah, the, May, yeah. the May thing didn't work out for that. But there will be one, definitely. Good. Well, I'm glad you clarified that because I, I just saw today the dates and I was thinking about getting getting tickets. and. We all started planning immediately, which is a good thing. <laughs> well, we see the, 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 the Rock Artist Management site. Um, it's, it's not actually for um, sort of like public viewing, kind of, although it is. But it's mainly for agents talking to promoters, so that it's like a diary kind of thing. Although anybody can have a look at it. But um, there's gigs there. That, that all the gigs that are not written in stone, they're kind of being spoken about, you know. And sort of 90% of them ha- happen, but 10% of them don't. You know, it's just because somebody might not be available for, for whatever reason, you know. So never take that as the gospel. Always, always stick with John's information. 
for the gospel. <laughs> That's what Mates. we do. That's what we do. Yeah. If it doesn't come from John, it's not real. Yeah. And, sp- and speaking of John, he has an update on, from the sideline on how long all the podcasts are all put together. So, John, tell, <laughs> tell us how that. long they all are. Uh, three days, 16 hours, 34 minutes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and running. <laughs> That's actually shorter than I than I anticipated. No. <laughs> well, actually, it was 34, 33 minutes and 57 seconds, uh, So, I, but I rounded it up to 34. Amazing. So if you wanted to have a, some sort of charity marathon listening session to all the podcasts, it's... <laughs> My wife is still asking me, you know, as much as she loves you guys, she still says, you still have topics to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. We have not gone through all the albums yet, but uh, we will. Have we not? Have we not went through all the albums yet? We still have uh, Damascus and Peace in Our Time to do. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah. So those are are a couple big ones. (laughs) Oh, what? And I haven't talked about the crossing. Yeah, we might even even redo the crossing since uh, the very first episodes, which were just me alone, was the crossing. So we. Well, I think we should have a another long special just on Wicca Way. <laughs> nice. Oh, we already did that one, and I think that was that might even have been an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's to come. That's to come. Shut! So, Bruce, is it okay if we launch into a few of these fan questions? Yeah, let's go for it, yeah. All right, good. And I thought this was an interesting question. Um, This is from Simon Wooten. And he says, uh, if Big Country had played Live Aid, do you have any idea in 1985 which which three songs you would have done? Which three songs you would have picked? So 85, it would have been... Well, we'd have still been doing the crossing stuff, eh? So I'm assuming, I'm assuming if I'd hammed, it would have been... I think Steel Town had come out then. I think Steel Town was out, and Restless Natives was out too. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I, I can tell you right now. If we had done live, it would have been the usual suspects: Chance and a big country and Fields of Fire. <laughs> gotcha. that, that's that's what it would have been. <laughs> Good. Oh, well, that would can't been... be too clever about these things, you know. That's right. That would have been an awesome set. All right. Good. That was an easy one. Nice one. So, so we'll go back to the Seer 30th anniversary right now because Jason Allen is asking, will you be recording any of those shows? Uh, I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, I, I think it would be great. I mean, some sometimes things like the the Australian thing just kind of happened off the cuff. Um, we only found out about it about a week beforehand. Um, and it was Jamie, actually, the, the guy, Chris, who was a studio engineer, um, he just got in touch with Jamie, um, and Jamie just asked the guys in the band, "This guy wants to record it with a professional uh, setup. He's just recorded stuff with Midge Um So we looked at the stuff they'd done with Midge on- online, and it sounded fantastic. We thought, "Yeah, let's do it." So we, we haven't actually made a plan to record anything from this year, but you never know; it may happen. Right. So what you just said is you do have a great recording from Australia. Well, I haven't listened to it, but if it's anything like the, the, the stuff the guy did with Midge, then, you know, he's, it should be good. And it's all the individual tracks. It's not like a, a desk recording. He, he recorded it. So we've got all the original stems. So we can, we can mix them once they arrive. <laughs> right. So that's what you're waiting for from Australia. Yes. Yep. Got it. Got it. Well, he doesn't okay, want. He doesn't want to send them digitally. He doesn't want to send them over over the net. So he's going to send hard copies. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I hope that works out. Yeah, I mean, hopefully. Worst case scenario, I hope you guys, you know, might might just do a soundboard recording of a couple of the shows just to have them, you know, for posterity's sake. Because it's, yeah, uh, I mean, I came across a couple of kind of soundboard uh, Steel Town ones as well, you know, from the, the last Steel Town tour we did with, with Derek as well. Oh, yeah. So there's that kicking around somewhere as well. But, I mean, they're, they're good for reference because, for instance, if I have to go and do Come Back to Me Again or whatever, I can go back and go, right, what did I play? What did Jamie play? And uh, just just reference it from that, you know? Fantastic. And, and sort of tagging on to that, um, Jurgen Cole asks if you guys would ever consider playing a song like uh, Song of the South from the uh, from the Seer, kind of a B-side from the Seer era, or is it is it pretty much going to be strictly the, the tracks that were on the official album? No, it's strictly the, 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 the 10 tracks on that album. Um, basically because we've still got all the, the rest of the songs that were kind of successful um, before that, uh, as well as um, whatever else we're going to put in there. So, no, we're not going to, we're not going to touch a uh, Song of the South. We're just basically doing the, the 10 tracks from the Seer and then other, other songs. Great, great. Right. Uh, moving right along, Colin Clancy is asking what you think is your favorite cover version that Big Country ever did. Oh, um, well, obviously, we used to play Don't Fear the Reaper live, so that was always good, and we used to do Oh Well, the Fleetwood Mac song. Um, they were great fun to play live, but I've kind of got a, a soft spot for the, the two Alice Cooper songs that we did as well. They were good. Uh, and I like I liked, um, Black Skin Blue Eye Boys, the equals, that was good. The Alice Cooper one, that was I'm 18, and, and uh, what was the other Teenage, one? Teenage Lament. That's right, that's right, yes, that's right. Okay, great. I, I like. I remember Teenage Lament now. I really like that version too. Yeah, we never we never played it live. It was more again, kind of. It was a fashionable thing to do back then. Everybody was doing cover covers albums. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, by the way, we, we did do a covers uh, episode and we counted them. And you've actually done thirty five covers, by the way. <laughs> wow. You gotta be kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If you include all the eclectic stuff. Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything way back to I think uh, track of my tears and Perry Rose and all the way up to now. Right, right. I mean, even the eclectic stuff. I mean, all those cover versions were kind of like we did uh, Yellow Taxi, but that was mainly because Carol was singing at Carol Walla, and it was mm. a song she knew, and um, you know, so that that was the reason we did we did those kind of covers. They weren't really indicative of what we would normally cover. Okay, so David Brown has this next question, and. I don't know if you remember, Bruce, but when, when you guys were rehearsing for the Steel Town tour, you sent us, um, very kindly, I might add, a couple of the uh, tracks that you and Jamie had worked up, where Jamie's guitar on one side, yours on the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you sent us, like, Girl With Grey Eyes and, and something else. Um, and th- those were really, really popular among the people that listened to the show. They just loved it. So David Brown is asking... Do you have any of those types of things for uh, your preparation for the Seer tour that you'd be able to share? Oh, right. Uh, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I do actually, but they're, they're not as kind of well thought out as the Steel Town ones. Um, yeah, well, what Jamie and I do is we get the Porter Studio out, the old famous Porter Studio, and basically stick in the stereo tracks of the, the 10 songs we're going to be learning. Um, and it's only a, I've, I've got this is a little four track Porter Studio not the bigger one so you've got track one and two is basically left and right off the, the record and then what I'll do is I'll work out my guitar part 
and I'll go on to track three, and Jamie will work out Stuart's or his or a combination of mine and Stuart's, and that'll go on track four. But because it's only a four track, you've got to do it in one live pass. Because if you're going to be playing the song live, you want to be able to play that song live, you know, all the way through. So, I mean, that's why I think Jamie put a thing up when he was playing the serial the other day, and he played it great, and then at the very end, he put this huge howler of a note in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that video, yeah. Yeah, so it's all all that kind of stuff, eh? So it's just learning, it's just pure repetition. But, yeah, there's prob- <clears throat> there's, there probably is a few bits and bobs on the Porter Studio, but, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with them. It's, it's mainly for reference. Right, right. Well, whatever you want to do is is fine. I mean, if you don't want to yeah. share those, we totally understand. But uh, just to let you know, those were uh, people were really fascinated by that because they could really make out. I think for the first time, some of those parts, and it was very interesting. Yeah, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the guitar parts did get buried because you know when you're recording a song and then it's overdubbed and another overdub, and and some of the parts they have to be buried or taken out altogether because you know you're eating into all these different frequencies. So, oh, that's Gordon Smith texting me there. <laughs> Sorry, where were we? Oh, no problem. No, I you, just want to, for the record, uh, I'd love to hear uh, one of those versions of the Red Fox. That's a personal request of mine. I, I think that's my favorite song of uh, this year. Right. Do you want me and Jamie, me and Jamie to do a... a oh, yes. Version? Oh, yes. You won't get the drums or the bass. You'll just get two guitars. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that would be that would well, be enough, fine. We were, that was the one we were working on today. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I mean, Bruce, you're talking to people who have spent three days and what was it like five hours or whatever talking about talking about your output away. already. So we're not gonna we're not gonna care about you know not having drums and bass and some of these <laughs> right, things. Well, I'll get I'll get one together um, <laughs> maybe in a few days and I'll fire it across. Okay, Fan- that would, absolutely fantastic. That would be yeah. great. That yeah. would be great. All right, uh, we have uh, a two-part question, really, from uh, Curtis Holson, who is uh, also uh, a big Alarm fan. So it's a two-part question, and one of them is uh, whether you keep in touch with Mike, uh, how long it's been since you spoke with him, uh, how, how things uh, are between the two of you. Well, I'm absolutely fine with Mike, and I think he's absolutely fine with me. Absolutely no problem with Mike whatsoever. Um, yeah, we've exchanged emails uh, not too recently, but uh, a little while back, and it was a kind of good news thing that he was sending me anyway. Um, and some of the guys went to see the alarm when they, they played with the Stranglers recently as well. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't have a problem with Mike. I've absolutely got no problem. I'd even work with Mike again, you know, absolutely no problem. Absolutely. And uh, the second part is more about uh, your thoughts on the journey a few years removed from that album. I still like the journey. I think there's some good stuff on it, and I, th- I think I think looking back, that album definitely came about because Jamie and I had a stockpile of material um, that we'd saved up on the Porter Studios, and I think Mike also had a stockpile of material, um, and the enthusiasm that was there between us all, and I think the stars were aligned as well, and we just got in the studio and just knuckled down and just just did it, you know, and it was. It was. I think the chemistry was right for that period. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, this is a question that has come from more than one person, so I, I won't assign any name to it. But and you, you've, I'm sure, heard this before. But what are your, what are the band's plans, if any, for any new music coming down the road? <clears throat> well, I would like to record some new music. It's 
kind of awkward at the moment because, again, we're geographically all over the place and also last year was with the concentrate on Steel Town, this year we're going to concentrate on the Seer. But um, without dwelling on this, the, the two band members have had illnesses as well. Uh, not that I want to broadcast what it was or whatever, but there has had to be time out, you know, and it's like I think health is more important than uh, new material. But if new material, if it happens, it happens. But obviously, all right, Jamie writes, we're all right, you know, so it's just a matter of when the time's right. It's not that we're, we're, we're shirking away from writing songs. It's just there's been a lot of circumstances, so... No, that's got to be so hard too. I mean, when you, when everyone is so far removed from each other, I mean, that's yeah. that's very difficult. And I think the older you get as well, I mean, it's like you know, the older you get, it's life becomes a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's more responsibilities and more things happen because you're getting older and stuff like that. So there, there's certain things that you've just got you've just got to leave out. You know, an athlete can't, <laughs> a football player can't do what he did you know, 30 years ago, you know, we, we're kind of lucky we can still play music, you know, but an athlete or somebody that does something quite strenuous because your body's older, you can't do it. <laughs> right, right. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's okay. a good answer. Thank you. And um, yet another question about people you've worked with in the past. So that's obviously a, a very interesting question, I guess. Uh, so this is about Tony and I, I guess I'll, approach it the same way as as mike uh, have you been in touch or are you talking and uh, uh are there plans to work together and there's one specific angle to that where uh someone claims i don't remember this but someone claims that you said tony had agreed to participate in a big country convention which was oh, news to me i don't remember that but um no i mean tony and i communicate um at least every you know, at least every three months, you know, there's always something comes up, you know, regarding big country business from the past. But no, I don't have a problem with Tony and he doesn't have a problem with me. Um, it's just that Tony retired. But I mean, Tony has, you've got to remember, even way back in the 90s, Tony was kind of teaching part time and he's obviously enjoys doing that, you know, and I, I just don't think he wants to go out the road as much as what he did. Um, and, and also, you know, the way the the band ended up with with Ian and the, the other members, Tony and Ian, just kind of, you know, that they went that way, and Mark and I went the other way. Right. No, I don't have a problem with Tony or even Ian. To be honest with you, I'm quite I'm quite happy to be in their company. And yeah, we, I would do stuff with Tony again without a doubt. In fact, Mark played on some of Tony's stuff recently. Yeah, the new Dog album. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's great. That's oh, no, no, we, I don't have a problem with any of that kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, let me let me ask you, this is a little bit just for me, but about the current bass player, because I think Scott Whitley has really endeared himself quite a bit to the fan base because yeah. he just seems so energetic, so excited to be there, and he's fan, a fantastic bass player. So, I mean, wh- what, what was it that got you guys to choose him, and uh, what are your thoughts on working with him? I love, I love working with Scott. He's a, he's, a, he's a great guy, a great bass player. Um, the reason we ended up working with Scott is we'd actually done some recording um, down at the studio that he worked at, and we got on really well with him. And then I found out that he was actually the, the bass player in the Animals at the time. And 
just watch them playing bass and stuff like that. But obviously Derek was still in the band at the time as well. But I just thought this guy's this guy. And even Derek was saying this guy's amazing. <laughs> He's just a, a great bass player and a, and a lovely guy, you know. And then when we needed a bass player, um, obviously Scott was the first choice, but he was still committed to the Animals. Um, and Matt Pegg was free, and so we were kind of in with Matt. But because Matt is more He's a well-respected blues player, but Matt only plays really with his fingers. And obviously, the Tony, but- Tony Butler bass lines were always done with a pick, um, apart from the seer, which was slap. But um, we needed somebody that they would do that. And another thing as well about Scott, Scott plays short-scale bass. And funnily enough, half the songs on the crossings when Stuart and I worked together, we wrote them on a short-scale bass. Oh, wow. And it was like... But it does sound like a precision, even though he's got this short scale bass, it, it just sounds full scale. Um, so we wanted Scott anyway, but, he, you know, like I said, he was committed to the animals. And then he just said, well, it's fine because the animals can get someone else and they're quite happy and they're not touring as much as what, what they used to. So he came over to us, which was mm-hmm. fantastic, you know, and he's, since he's been on board, it's been wonderful. Oh, that's great. I, I remember w- that brief period where you had, uh, it seemed like a different bass player almost every gig there for a few couple weeks. And I remember seeing uh, some video of Scott and he was the only one who was just like leaping about the stage while he played. And it was so great to see that. And I thought, that's the guy I hope they pick if they Yeah, if they oh, no, we had Steve, basically it was gigs, as you know, the way it works, gigs are booked months in advance. Right. And you can either pull that gig you know, or or whatever, and you don't want to pull a gig, you know, especially when people bought tickets. So we we had a um, guy, um, Steve, came in for a, a couple of gigs. Um, again, a great bass player, but traditional style bass, you know, whereas once somebody like Tony with a bit of character, which is what Scott's got. But Scott obviously had commitments as well, um, and Matt had commitments as well. So we, 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 we ended up working with Steve just for a, a couple of shows. And, I mean, it was fine. It was great. But it was like a more of a, a, a kind of transition fill-in kind of period. Yeah. But no, we, we've settled on Scott. But we've been settled on Scott since he came on board, you know? <laughs> right. Great stuff. I, I think a lot of people don't think Scott's in the band. And to be honest with you, it's perception. Usually, you know, when a band gets together and does something new, there's always like a photo session and stuff like that. We just haven't had the time uh, to do anything like that with Scott, but he is proper full-time member of the band. Oh, that's good to hear. Good. All right. So, so I'll quickly move to a new question, and we have one from Michael Nicholson, and he's kind of asking, um, let's call it a fan pet question, because uh, the Ariel session and the Ariel tapes have a very unique place in uh, most uh, people's hearts, in most fans' hearts. So. Yep. I, I, I don't foresee that this question has any other answer but no, but I'll ask it. What would be the chances of an REL tour 2017? That would be great to hear over <laughs> live. Well, I mean, I think genuine fans of the band would love to hear, you know, certain songs and, you know, slightly obscure stuff and that. And to a certain extent, I would, I would love to do some of this stuff. In fact, I've been talking uh, with, with Mark about this one is when we get around to doing other songs is looking at some of the piece in our time stuff and 
making them so you're getting the best of the REL and the best of the Peace in Your Time album. And even oh, wow. combining them, it's like the way we do King of Emotion, we don't do King of Emotion exactly as we did it on the record because it's too bloody slow to play it properly. It's just, it's, it's a weird tempo. So we've upped the tempo and we've made the guitars a bit raunchy and it's not got the keyboards or the girl vocals on it, obviously. And we've just kind of done it like we would have done it years ago in a rehearsal room, although we never. Um, so we're talking about, you know, getting some of the REL stuff and amalgamating it with the, the piece of time and just trying to come up with a better version because I think the, the piece of time album sounds great. It's um, Peter Wolf did a, a great job in the production, but I just think the songs kind of suffered a little bit, you know. Yeah. No, it's so interesting that you say that because uh, I mean, when we get into the album on on our show, we'll talk about it more. But I I always thought that while while I vastly preferred the production sound of the REL stuff, um, I thought the arrangements on the actual album were were sometimes better and more focused and cohesive. So it's almost yeah. like as you're saying that it's almost like maybe a combination between Peter Wolf's arrangements and the original sound and yeah, feel of the kind, REL. Kind of that, yeah, definitely. I mean, for instance, when we did 13 Valleys, I mean, Stuart plays just a simple acoustic guitar part, really simple, just, de -de 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 -de, you know, just uh, roots and fifths. But <laughs> we came to record that Peter said, oh, I, don't, I do not want you to play the guitar. I want to sample your guitar strings, you know, and it was like, we sampled every note on mine and Stuart's guitars, everything, you know, and then he played them on the keyboard. But it's not like we couldn't play them on the guitar. It was just just for the effect, and that's what what we, you know, that was like the fashionable thing to do in the eighties, all that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on a little tangent here, but I'll, this last thing I'll say about it. But you told us that story um, when we spoke to you a couple of years ago, and I, I, it always reminded me of when I was um, listening to that album at, at the time. The track. Uh, I don't know how well you remember the track "Everything I Need," but yeah, th there was a there was an effect in that that always. I never could understand how it was done because it was a picked, it was a picked guitar part, but each string that was picked was panned hard left or right and alternated. That's right, and, and it's not it's not a natural guitar part. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, because when you when you said how he sampled everything, I re I realized that must be how he did it. Did that? Yeah, it's that's a complete keyboard part, and it's just basically Peter would get one of us or both of us just to hit an open string, and then he would sample and stick it in the same clavier, but. It's kind of unnatural because the sustain and the decays kind of go all the way through like a, a piano kind of part, and it's just it wouldn't, it's just unnatural. But also, what he got us to do was because it sounded unnatural, but that was the effect he was going for. He would get us to play the guitar part, but with a left hand, but not actually finger the strings. So you actually got the buzzes on the strings when you're moving your fingers about to make it sound a bit more human. <laughs> Oh my god! But then again, it's like, well, yeah, I'm just going to take my head out of my bum now, you know, because it's just, <laughs> can't I just bloody well play it, you know? But it was just the effect, you know? That's amazing. My goodness. But you got complete separation and it did sound great, you know? Uh, so maybe for the convention, we could hope for a bit more of that for Ariel stuff and the rarer stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think when we, we look at the convention, it's, <clears throat> it's going to take a bit of time to rehearse it, obviously, but I think there are, again, speaking with Mark about this, there's definite songs on later albums that should be revisited. I mean, I, I'll tell you right now, we're never going to go and do a, an anniversary of No Place Like Home or Peace in Our Time. It's, there just is no point in doing that, but 
there are songs from the, the, the later half, if you like, songs that need to be looked at again. And I think we'll definitely be doing that, you know, but it's what you call the tour or what, you know, the, it's like you need something to hang on. Mm-hmm. But we will be we will be definitely looking at that as well as hopefully some new stuff as well. But, um, you know, it's you can't predict the future, so let's see what happens. But um, the band are definitely up for doing that kind of stuff. Great stuff. It's almost like taking the best bits out of No Place Like Home, the best bits out of Damascus, the best bits out of Buffalo Skinners, and doing stuff like that, you know? Shut Okay, so here's a question from a Twitter user. Um, don't know the name. It's Elcor Mako. He has an interesting question, I think. He says, is there a song that even now, when you play it live, you kind of get lost in it, that it takes sort of takes you away and, and you're you're just lost in the actual music and playing it? Oh, God, that's a, it's kind of a hard one to, to answer that one. I don't get lost in it. I just, you know, we, I just, I just, we're just very enthusiastic about what we do and um, kind of getting lost in it. Kind of sounds like I've got a psychedelic track. <laughs> right, right. Tripping out to or something like that. Uh, no, nah, I don't think I can actually answer that one, to be honest with you. But, okay, uh, no, that's, that's good. That's all right. All right. <laughs> so you're not, uh, you're not, you know, looking up into the sky with your eyes closed, waving your head back and forth. And uh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> can, maybe Kansas is a bit like that, actually. Oh, that's cool. Uh, right. In fact, there's that's what I'm talking about. The version of Kansas that we actually play live is basically the No Place Like Home and the Buffalo Skinners combined. It's, we've taken what we think is the best bits out of both those albums. Hmm including some of Mark's drum fills and mixed them up with his favourite Simon Phillips drum stuff. And On the original version, I was playing acoustic guitar, and I'm kind of playing the acoustic guitar part electrically. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of getting the best of both worlds, and that's what we've done with Kansas. Oh, that's great. That's great. I love that approach. That's so cool. Hmm. Maybe I can turn that last question around and say, when you look out to the audience, is there a song you play where suddenly you see the audience standing like that? Eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> Hair you waving, eyes closed, hands to the skies. Yeah, what, what's your favorite big comedy songs? Look away an eggplant. <laughs> here's here's the same milk. Here's something you don't know. Eggplant, there was actually a 12-inch mix of eggplant, but we have to edit, edit it down. <laughs> Oh my lord! Well, you, you imagine you have, that you have now put something out there that will become more sought after than the Robin Ooh. Miller Seer mix. Ooh, <laughs> it's a quest, I tell you. A petition. I think, I think Mark's got the master in his bedroom. I think a petition is being created as we speak. <laughs> Why does he keep it in his bedroom? Maybe I don't want to know. No. Oh gosh! <laughs> Let's quickly rush to another question, and we have a. Um, a Canadian on our list who goes by the name of Abner Devereaux, the mad scientist from a, an ancient Kiss movie. He He's asking, what is your earliest and fondest memory of Timmins, Ontario? That's assuming you have a memory of it. Um, well, the only memories I've got since I left there when I was 18 months old, the only memories I've got are, are old photographs um, that my, my parents have, and it's stuff like my, my tram had 
like skis on it, you know, because the snow was so so thick. So mum and dad would be wandering about with snowshoes, pushing a pram, and instead of it having wheels, it had skis. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. And a ridiculous bowl cut. It's like my mum used to put a mixing bowl, cake bowl on my head, and just cut me hair, you know. <laughs> I think many of us had that done. Yeah, so I, I mean that's no, I don't remember much of it <laughs> apart from apart from photographs. Oh, that's great! All right, so kind of maybe going back to your your uh, formative years a little bit. Um, this question: uh, it, Was there ever a, a band for you that uh, if if you had had the access to the technology back then, you would have? considered making a podcast about <laughs> i mean was oh, there a- wow yeah definitely something like i don't know uh sensational alex harvey band would have to be i mean that was my my main band i loved loved that band nice and you were you were big into the clash too as i recall i mean at least you you've often cited white man and hammersmith palais yeah as one of i mean the, the clash as well i mean really the, the clash were i think one of the ultimate bands for me you know just everything about them i kind of liked you know they were great Fantastic band, a little bit of Mott the Hoople in there as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I must admit, I do like The Damned's first album as well. That was the one that kind of kicked it off for me. And he, he, even the name The Damned, I just thought was, what a brilliant name for a group. The Damned. <laughs> it yeah. is. I was always surprised, uh, to be honest, that you never recorded a Clash cover. No, we just never, just never did it, you know. You did perform one though uh, solo, I think, didn't you? Didn't you do White Man? Uh, oh yeah, I used to. Do, I, I did a little recording of White Man. Yeah, I, I'm in fact, sure I, I used heard to that. Fields of Fire, Stuart would sing a little bit. Of should I stay or go? Should I should I go as well? Yeah, that's right. So he would, mm. uh, it was like a little little fun tribute kind of thing, you know. Well, I've often I've often uh, likened your voice to Joe Strummer's, so I, I, mean, I think it lends itself well to those kinds of yeah, songs. Yeah, I'm very. My voice is very much, and I, I wouldn't call it a singing voice, but. It's, Kind of in between Joe Strummer and Bob Dylan, somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, there's one, uh, which is, I, I won't put a name to it because this touches on a lot of them. So I'll summarize it like this. Uh, the rarities. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have them. A lot of people want to have them. They're out of print. Is there any hope? Again, we were released on track records. Um I have absolutely no idea how people could get kind of official copies of that unless they buy them for <laughs> sums of money on eBay. I mean, it would be great for them to come out again in some form or other. It'd be great for <laughs> if they could all come out at the one time, the whole the whole caboodle at a right price, you know. Yeah. But I, I mean, I can't answer that one honestly because it's, it's track records, uh, and, I, and I don't really know what what's happened there. So. I thought that track uh, went out of commission. I think so, but I, I don't know enough about it. Yes, it lies with Ian somewhere, is the answer. Probably. Yeah. But I, I, but I can't honestly answer that. But I mean, right. It's a shame because there's some rarity stuff. There, there are some gems and golden nuggets. They're not all great. They're not all great, but there is some, some good stuff on the, the rarity series. Yeah, no doubt. Mm. The worst thing about the, the rarities thing... And again, it was a quality control. Restless Natives was printed at completely the wrong speed. I don't know if any of you guys have noticed that, but you, well, Tom, if you pick up a guitar and try and play Restless Natives, you'll notice you're probably a semi-tone out. It's oh, really? Wrong, it's at the wrong yeah. speed. It's too fast. Oh, wow. That's I interesting. So um, you had one that was too fast, and then 
Back in the day, you had to fly like an eagle. That was too slow. That was too slow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't as fast as fly like an eagle is slow. Thank no, God. no, that was, I think that was a full <laughs> tone down, whereas I think Restless Nate was about a semi-tone up. And you can really notice it because Mark's snare drum sounds really high. I mean, it's almost like, sounds like Stuart Copeland's snare. It's just really high and it's like, oh, what's going on here? And I played along with it. I went, That's, it's been mastered at the wrong speed. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing but I, that that happened. But, but I think it was done right on the remaster of the CU that came a couple of years ago, where you well, had I, part one and part two. Right, I'll check that out eventually. But <laughs> but I do remember the first one that did come out. Yeah. I was definitely at the wrong speed because I was having to learn um, restless natives to go and do it with, with Tony Mark. And I just went, what the hell's going on here? Like, <laughs> the drum sound was just too, it was just too high. Well, you know, on, on that Seer, the, mo- the most recent one that Svein just referenced, um, Svein, help me out with this because I kind of know it, but I, I'm sort of forgetting the title. There was a, a version that was called Run With Me. Yeah. Um, it, do you know anything about why that title no. was called Run With Me? Or I have the- not got a clue. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I, I was just curious if uh, maybe that was an Some, early... Someday, someday Universal just obviously came up with a title. <laughs> <laughs> unless, yeah. and, unless, of course, maybe on the tape box it might have had something like that written on it. But right, you know, right. Just to dis- distinguish it from another song. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, one, the one thing that I wanted to ask about, um, and I know there's there's hardly any news about this yet, so it's very much in the early, you know, gathering uh, part of getting this together, but. The Skids 40th reunion was recently announced. I mean, I know there's not a lot to talk about yet, but I mean, what can you say about it at this point? Well, basically, it's 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 the the 40th anniversary of the Skids, and I think uh, Richard was approached to do some festival stuff last year, but obviously, you know, it was too short notice. So he he got in touch with the guys, and basically, all, all the guys um, are quite keen to do it. So dates are kind of being booked at the moment. John, John's standing in the background, is it? Standing, <laughs> John. So yeah, yeah, they're looking at doing some, uh, getting some dates booked just now. So I think that's going to be be a, a good fun thing, you know. Okay, excellent. All right, so so Bruce, first of all, before we go any further, I mean, how are you doing on time? Are you have you doing all right? I'm you fine. Need- I'm, I'm cool. I mean, we've only been at this for about an hour, so we only have three more to go. Come on, lads, <laughs> keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> oh, that's oh, you're worst at me. All right, well, let me ask you this: um, since we talked about Scott a little bit, let's talk a little bit about Simon because I think uh, yeah. people don't. Uh, he's probably the one member of the band right now that people have heard the least from. I mean, yeah. what are you, what are your feelings of working with him is how, how's he been doing i mean all i can uh, speak on is his singing ability which sounds great i mean he sings the songs wonderfully so what's yeah. he like from your perspective working with well, him? i mean it's, it's great for us because that's all he wants to do he's just he's only interested in singing and it's great for us because mike was a different kettle of fish mike was a, a complete sort of a, like almost like a springsteen bono kind of showman kind of school you know um uh, Stuart, Stuart wasn't like that. Stuart was more of a musician. Um, Simon's kind of like that. Simon's just—he's not into really like the big gestures or any of that kind of stuff. He's—he's he's just, he just likes singing. He, he just loves to sing, um, and that's that's basically it. That that's what he, he likes doing, and that's what we re- require from him. But I think a lot of people expect like vocalists in bands or the lead vocalist to be like the main man. 
that you know the leader kind of thing. And Simon, he's not that kind of guy. It's like almost like his voice is the instrument. You know, it's like I suppose it's like the Who. You know, it's Roger Daltrey is a vocalist, but it's kind of Pete that does all the interviews and all that kind of stuff and the statements and that. And Simon, he's he's just a quiet guy. And he just he just loves singing. Um, and his range is very similar to Stuart's, what I call Stuart's first voice. Uh, first three albums, Stuart had a kind of lower register. And then once we got to Peace in Our Time, his voice kind of changed and it had a few more sort of Americanisms in it. And Simon's got a really wide range, but there's a certain timbre in his voice that does sound like Stuart's first voice. Um, and so Simon's not really interested in doing, you know, he does his own thing. Uh, he's got um, like a, I think it's an acoustic project that he's got out at the moment. Uh, he's working on that, and he, he, he's just he's just quite happy, just you know, coming along and singing, you know. Well, I hope I get a chance to see him one of the, one of these days. So, oh, we'll hopefully, see. you never know. We might get out your neck of the woods. That would be great. All right, uh, we have a question from Lee Watterson, who is asking what your favorite lyric of Stewart's was. Oh, I really like Inwards. I, I just love all that Scouts in the Stairwell kind of thing, you know. It's just, um, even Poro Man, there's some, some I mean, there's, there's, there isn't actually that many lyrics in Poro Man, uh, but I, I do like them. I, I, I like, I prefer when Stuart's singing about something that's not black and white, you know, and it's a bit, you know, you've got to think about it, whereas, you know, some like Republican Party Reptile, it's obvious, you know, um, or what are you working for? But I, I prefer some of the, you know, even some of the stuff of the seer. Some, some, you know, you've just got to think about it, and they're kind of open to interpretation anyway. And there's stuff yeah. that's, I mean, stupid, there's stuff that's just a collection of words, you know. I, I'm <laughs> totally with you on that. I, his his more abstract poetry is the the kind of stuff yeah. that I always, you know. And sometimes a song doesn't mean it doesn't have to mean anything. You know, it's like David Bowie would do that cut and paste kind of thing years ago you know it doesn't make sense but it works you know and it's I think as long as the, the, the overall song works you know then that's, that's a bonus you know it's great yeah definitely mm. and uh, as an extension of that do you remember if Stuart was particularly pleased with one of his own lyrics I think in a big country mm. I think de- definitely um, in a big country yeah that's the one that, that he he mentioned when uh, when I I and some other people uh Met him in Nashville. We we asked him that question, and and that was the one he said. He said, oh, "I'm not." Brilliant. He said, "I'm not expecting to grow flowers in the desert." Was his favorite lyric. And uh, no, I mean it's it's just great. There's it's, you know every every line in that song is just amazing. Yeah, it is. Yep. Okay, so here's a here's kind of a gear question for you from someone Josh named Josh Perry. He's saying, "Where and when did you obtain your first Yamaha SG, and why oh, did you why did you choose it?" Uh, I got my Yamaha SG500, the red one, and I bought that from Sandy Muir's record shop, which is a record music shop in Dunfermline, and Sandy Muir used to manage the skids. Um, Stuart always played like a, a Gibson Marauder, and then I guess when they got their advance money in, I'm assuming they bought the Yamaha SG. Uh, 2000 he got... Uh, I like the 500. I, I never knew too much about guitars back then, but I found out later that the reason I liked the the SG 500 
more than the 2000s because it was a, a gluing neck, whereas the 2000s was like a straight through neck and it was laminated and it lost some of the sustain. So basically Yamaha had to put a, like a brass sustain bar under the bridge just to help sustain. Whereas my 500, I always kept, even though I had a 2000, I kept going back to the 500 because I just preferred the sound of it. Um, I, I don't know, the, one of the reasons I suppose I got it is because, you know, I, I know Stuart had a, an SG 2000 and they were really popular at the time. I think Midjur was playing one, um, Jake Burns was playing one, Bill Nelson obviously, uh, and just a lot of interesting guitar players. Obviously Santana, although I wasn't really into Santana back then, I didn't know enough about him. And I used that guitar, the 500, I used it on probably about half of the crossing, maybe a and in fact, I, I turned it into a mandolin, and I, tuned, I, made, I made it an octave mandolin. I, I used that on "Come Back to Me." That isn't a mandolin; it's actually the, the Yamaha SG500. Um, and then come the Sear period, where we could actually afford Les Pauls, uh, <laughs> we, we kind of just we sold the we sold the Yamahas, and mine's ended up going into Sound Control uh, in Newcastle. And I just got it back a couple of years ago, and I've, I've kept it. And I'm I'm going to bring it back out for the skids, definitely. Oh, that's great. That's mm. great. Good to hear. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys with the Les Pauls, and that, and that made an impression on me on this year because I thought, wow, they're playing Les Pauls now. Mm. It's only because we had the money to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the Yamahas were always seen as like a poor man's Les Paul, but the construction of the Yamaha SG is just... It, it's just meticulous. It's amazing, and they, they do sound good. I mean, I think I think they called them Les Paul Killers for a while, but I think in the seventies, like Fender, like a lot of American guitars, uh, the companies had all been sold, and you know, they, they was run by accountants, and it was more to do with numbers and keeping the costs down, as opposed to the original quality of the, the Fenders and Gibsons that had been out in the fifties and early sixties, and that's why. People turned to Japan, and because the Japanese were actually building, you know, American style guitars, but doing them better and cheaper. You know, maybe the electronics weren't as good, but at the time you would, you you know, you find I think DiMarzio, Mighty Mike made pickups back in the seventies, and you would exchange them for the the NAF pickups. You know, like brands like Antoria and stuff like that. Fantastic guitars. And the and the Yamahas, they were a lot cheaper than the Les Pauls, and they were probably better than the Les Pauls at that period of time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent, good. That'll mm. that'll satisfy some of the gearheads out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have a question for Mark Dunwillows, and this is similar to some questions we already asked. Uh, Mark remembers your you self-releasing stuff like the demology stuff, mm. and he's asking if you would consider releasing perhaps some of the reference materials, guitar parts, demos you might have uh, on your own, on a self-distributed uh, CD. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Do, do you mean demos of the country songs and stuff like that? I, I think, again, this is uh, people getting fascinated by the guitar parts that you shared in the past and uh, that we played th- on the show. Oh, right. Well, I th- maybe it's a kind of thing that Jamie and I should think about doing is just, you know maybe going into a, a, a proper studio and just, you know, coming up with the guitar parts. But I certainly wouldn't release them as in, you know, a proper release. I'd probably just, no. you know, let people download them on YouTube or maybe even do a little video so people could see what we're doing with our, with our fingers and stuff like that. I think one of the last ones that Jamie put up, somebody had 
kind of complain. Well, I can't see their fingers. It was like, oh, I never realised they were wanting to work out how to play. We were just, it was a more off and off the cuff thing. But maybe Jamie and I should do that, you know, just go, go into a studio and, you know, just, you know, put the original track down, say, for instance, it was Steel Town, and we'll just play on top of Steel Town and then just take the track off. Then you can, guitar players can maybe see, that are interested in that kind of thing, can maybe see what we're playing. It's, it's actually not that difficult. It's, it sounds more complicated than what it is. <laughs> but there's a lot of effects involved and stuff like that as well. Mm. I think people would be interested if you if you wanted to sell a small run off those. I think people would be very interested indeed. So uh, I don't think you needed to do it just for YouTube. I think people would, would love to have them, especially me. I would love to purchase stuff like that. Okay, no, ten thousand pounds. It's real. <laughs> no, it's just, I just, I, I think the way it is nowadays, it's just, I think people, especially younger people now, that become accustomed to getting stuff for free and stuff like that. So, no, I, I certainly wouldn't want to. To me, it'd be more a, a labour of love kind of thing, and yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to go down that route. One of our listeners, named Kara. First off, she wanted to know how she can get some more of your some of your solo work with Jamie because she says she only has another anthem for the damned and she wants to get more of it and doesn't know exactly how. Um, so it's already been taken care of. Oh, it has. Okay. Yes, it has. Oh, good for you. You're good. Yes. You're a good man. Well, what? Right. what well, she's a, she's a Jersey girl, so I, I gotta take care of her. Well, oh well, then that, I'll, I'll leave that in your culpable hands. <laughs> well, Bruce, if someone else is listening to this and they want this, I mean. Uh, yeah, contact John. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm a lazy son. Well, I tell you honest. what, like, leave a message on our Facebook page, listeners, if you want Bruce's and Jamie's stuff, and uh, someone will hopefully pick up on it and yeah, I think, figure I think something there's only, out. There's only really the, the one, the one recorded album, another anthem for the damned, and then there's the the live album, and there's a couple of other bits and bobs, but it's really only the two main albums as such. The the live one and the anthem for the damned. Yeah, don't don't commit me to anything. I have to check to see what exactly what I have in stock. <laughs> yeah, John will supply it for you, oh, and and John yeah, will thanks. pay shipping. <laughs> no. I think Gordon Gordon takes some out in the road with him anyway. So oh, good. Okay. Well, they they are definitely without a doubt worth getting. Great stuff on there. Oh, thank you. But he, here's the second part of this, and I don't know if you're aware of this, Bruce, but apparently there's another Bruce Watson. And if you search iTunes here in America, at least, mm -hmm. you come up with Bruce Watson. Now, here's the strange thing. The bio of this Bruce Watson is matches up with you perfectly. Canadian-born Bruce Watson began his career as the guitar player in the Stuart Adamson-fronted big country, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. now, it, now, it goes through at the bottom, and it says, um, apart from his work in big country, Watson is also in demand as a studio musician. And, nope. And now, well, well, the thing that's amazing is that it's got the albums from this guy, Bruce Watson, and he's got five, six, seven, seven albums named Bruce Watson. Um, albums such as, uh, let's see, what are some titles here? Well, he, here's one of the titles of one of his songs. My Pussycat Keeps Peeing on the Carpet by Bruce Watson from the album <laughs> A Moving Feast. <laughs> Moving Feast. That's the name of his album. Here's... Here's another song from that album, Dad's Clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Unfinished Business, uh, Landlubber's Shanty. So, well, that sounds great. That, that could almost be like an outtake from, I don't know, The Storm or something like that. <laughs> well, he's got another one here, an album called Unsung Heroes of Australian History. 
<laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is a little tie into you because it's because you have a song called uh, Edison's about Edison, Thomas Edison, and he's got a song here that says uh, the man and the woman and the Edison phonograph. <laughs> so, My God, have you so, heard anything yet? No. I have not heard any of it yet. I need to. I, I literally just clicked on this while we've been talking uh, because I wanted to check it out. But literally, this this I'm guy is strangely has, intrigued by this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really weird. I mean, the bio of this Bruce Watson is your bio, but the albums are clearly not yours. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but his name is Bruce Watson. So anyway, I, I was curious if you might uh, be uh, aware of that. He also has I mean, an album here called Afro Cuban Lullaby. <laughs> but, no, um, actually, actually, that's the song. The uh, the, well, the other song. Bruce, the other Bruce Watson got in touch with me via John's site, didn't he? John, the the guy from the guy from Foreigner, from Foreigner. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. John mentioned yeah. that, and he sent me an email. So I just sent an email back, and it was just <laughs> quite a fun thing. Eh? And then I was like, but even stranger with Foreigner, that they've got a guy in the back called Mick Jones, and it's like it's, it's very confusing because you've got Mick Jones for the class as well. <laughs> That's and right. two, two Bruce Watsons, it's a bit, a bit strange, but <laughs> at least we've kind of acknowledged each other now. Well, yeah, this guy has quite a discography. Politics, Religion, and Sex is another album with a song called Save the Hippie. Save so, the Hippie. <laughs> and, and the final song title I'll throw out there at you from this same album is called, I kid you not, The Sperm. <laughs> what, just that? The Sperm, not The Storm. The sperm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought you meant the song was called I Kid You Not. Oh, no, no. <laughs> that would be a better title. I that would have been much better. <laughs> that would have been much better. You're right. I kid you not, the sperm. No, it's just, it's just the sperm. <laughs> I'm going to sing a song now. With me is the main topic. So let me introduce myself. I'm a cell that's microscopic. I look just like a tadpole or a little like a worm. I think you should have guessed it by now. Yes, I'm a sperm. I don't know if I'll end up as a woman or a he-man. And I don't know much about sailing, but I like to mix with semen. Oh, man, that's genius. Absolutely so, yeah. genius. So... People out there, if you're looking at the American people, if you're looking for Bruce Watson albums on iTunes and you've stumbled on this stuff, uh, hopefully you figured out that that is not Bruce Watson. That's not me. Not the one you want anyway. (laughs) John, send me those CDs. Yeah, I'm in it. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. That's all I had. It's fine. Do we have any left? Any questions left? I think we have one from uh, Stuart Stevens who is asking. uh, We touched on it a bit earlier but this is, breaks it down a bit more and he says from experience i know how hard it is to get everyone together for rehearsals how much time do you get together for and how is it structured when you mentioned already the pre uh, you, you all rehearse individually yes that, that's how we do it i think i think i must have i probably answered that question then because that's exactly how how we do it it's basically homework um, and then we get together in, in a rehearsal situation for two days and it's basically how we're going to start the song, how we're going to end it and who's going to do harmonies you know, what, what we spend more time on the vocals usually than the music because y- you've done that, you've done that in your house Right So how long is the together time of, of all this? Well for instance next week we'll, we'll get together uh, 
down in the north of England, uh, which is obviously the, the middle point in the country, uh, down in Clitheroe. Uh, we'll go down there and we'll probably rehearse for approximately four hours the first day. Um, then the next day, we'll do another four hours. And then on the last day, it's usually just Jamie and I and Mark, and Mark will be tidying up a few things, and Jamie and I will be like programming and delay units and different effects and stuff like that. Because the last thing you want to do is start programming take, takes a bit of time, and other people just get bored if they're not involved. Eh? So on the last day, it's usually programming and just tightening up the set lists and. And also, we need to make, to, to, to work out which songs should go into the next song. You don't want songs that are really in the same key going into the the song after, if it's in the same key. So, I don't. I'm not sure. I don't think we'll be doing the album in sequential order. At least not not oh. the first. At least not the first half. <laughs> the second half we may do. Steel Town we did it in sequential order, but I don't think we'll do it on the seer, although we will be playing all 10 tracks. I mean, the reason an album is sequenced like that, you've got to remember back in, in those days when it was vinyl, um, I mean, obviously CD was in its infancy back then, but you were kind of limited to so many minutes per side. And if your album was lopsided, you know, the, 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 the quality would suffer as well, you know, so... That's the the reason that the albums were sequenced back then as well. It was just to to get the the the, the times kind of evened out, so it was kind of similar on both yeah, sides. Yeah. But in, in my head, it's like I've I've got a kind of idea of what to start with. And, and what you said there reminded me of the track listing on the uh, original album, which uh, the printer track listing was actually different than the actual one. All right. Ah. And I remember it started with Dileden, which, uh, for some reason, the, the printed one. And guys helped me out here. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was a very different track listing. Right, yeah, right. I don't remember that. I don't remember that, yeah. but I'm sure you're right. In some countries it was correct, some countries it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that different, uh, different countries had different kind of similar-looking sleeves, but there was always slight variations and stuff like that. Well, that brings up a, a question I, I've had, Bruce, and this is – kind of a obscure type of question, but you, you'd mentioned earlier the uh, lyrics to inwards being uh, ones that you really like the scouts in the stairwell. I remember when that came out, um, the, the lyrics for that were printed in the sleeve differently than what Stuart sang. They, they were initially, yeah, yeah, there was, there was a few, are you talking about on the crossing on the, the little white, the white, yeah. The inside? yeah, there was a few that mm. were, and like for example, that was the scouts in the stairwell will will kiss again, and then it, the actual uh, recording was the scouts in the stairwell will meet again. And yeah. there were some other examples of that. I, I'm just curious if you had any memories of of Stuart rewriting those or or no, what I that's all about. Is it a matter of that you just sent it, it to the printer before he changed com- the lyrics? Completely, or? absolutely no mystery. Stuart would have written them down by hand. Um, the girl in the office. <laughs> We'd have copied them, and she would have typed it on a, a word processor, not even a computer, and some things just got were just wrong. <laughs> and there was wow. there was no 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 sort of mystery that it was just basically typos. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Did, do you have any problems like uh, any anyone have any problems deciphering some of Stewart's lyrics when you go back to these albums if you don't actually have the official lines? Uh? Or, or is that pretty pretty easy? I think I think because uh, the diction was quite good anyway. Um, I, I think we can make them out, and obviously 
with, with Stuart's accent, very solid to my accent. I can I can tend to pick things out as well. Right, right. But there, there's always you always get stumped on something. You know, you know, you always think, oh, it was that he said that, but in actual fact, he didn't say that. I mean, <laughs> right. we, 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 I mean a classic example was uh, with a guy. He's no longer with us. Big big guy that used to look after us called uh, Joe Seabrook. He used to work with um, Keith and Ronnie for the Stones. He used to look after them. And he turned. We were sitting in the bus one night, and Big Joe was sitting there with a couple of drinks and playing cards and whatever. And he goes, he goes, "What's a Scorpius?" <laughs> and I went, oh, "Stuart's looking at me." And I'm like, "Stuart, what?" He goes, "What is a Scorpius? Is it some sort of mythical, mythical sort of minotaur or a creature?" And Stuart's going, "What songs that?" And he went, "You know that song." <laughs> You know, is it close action? You know, a score of years, blah blah. And he thought it was called a Scorpius, a score because it's Stuart's accent. A Scorpius, do 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 do. A Minotaur. Scorpius, but but it's great because it's like it became part of her dictionary. Ah, oh, that's so funny. Here comes a Scorpius. You know? <laughs> well, I think I I mentioned this on an earlier show, but. Uh, Back with the Seer, one of the early versions I bought of that on CD, there was a typo in the, uh, imagine that, in the lyrics of the teacher. And instead of, she wove the tail in silken curls, it was, tail was spelled T-L-A-E. So for for a number of years, I thought it, it was like Tlay, and I thought it was some Scottish thing that I wasn't aware of. So I, ah, right, right. Oh, I've got you. I, I. I would think, uh, what is what is a tlay? I need to find out what that is. <laughs> she wove the tlay in silken curls, but uh, it's anyway. great. I love all that stuff because they came to become legitimate and real, then, don't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the reason Big Joe said that Scorpius is because he asked Stuart about what's this Poro Man thing, you know, and then Stuart came to explain to Joe it was like what, an H.G. Wells short story, Pollock and the Poro Man. About some sort of African witch doctor thing, they just assumed that you know, Poro Man or Scorpius must be the must be from the same book. <laughs> now, did did Stuart when he when he was writing lyrics? I mean, did he usually keep those really close to the vest before he was finished, or did he ever discuss them with the band as you were working out? No, I or? kept them to basically most of the time. In the early days, the songs were like shadows, instrumentals, kind of without Cliff Richard. So they were always, they were always instrumental, and then Stuart would take the instrumental away, and then on a cassette normally, and then he would just, you know, go up to his room, uh, you know, and just write lyrics, and then come back down, and it'd be like, you're going to have to change this, Bruce. It's like, oh no, no, okay. it's like every time you go to change the guitar part because it's going to, the, the lyric, you know, instrumentally they were great. Like, in a big country, it was instrumental. But when Stuart comes back and puts the lyrics on, you know, he's got to change guitar parts, I've got to change guitar parts, but usually the, the rhythm section is always the same. But to make it work, the melody, he'd evolved the melody, because I don't think he actually had the melody. He probably had the melodies in his head, obviously, but once you start, you know, once you start singing along, it's like, you know, certain things will work and certain things won't work. So things have to change. It's like, the next day, right, Bruce, you're going to have to change that guitar line. It's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they will sing it to me. Right, I've got you now. I know what to do now. Yep, yep. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, man, I mean, uh, I think we've exhausted all the questions for, for this uh, from the listeners. And I, I don't think I have any left. Do you have any left, Swine? I can't think of any, really. Okay. So I guess the last I thing. That's we'll- it. 
I guess the last thing we'll do is is put it, put it, this to you, Bruce. I mean, do you have? Uh, I know this is kind of the cliche question to ask, but I mean, do you have anything you want to put out there to the people who are listening to this as to what they can expect in the coming months and what your uh, what your approach continues to be or your mindset is? And well, I just, obviously, I'd like to thank everybody for their, for their continued support, and you know, hopefully, we can continue the way we're going at the moment and. Like I say, it would be great to, to do some new stuff, but until that happens, I mean, obviously we all want to do new stuff and want to look at some of the rarities and just have to be patient there, you know. So, but as long as people are quite willing to come and see us play and listen to us, then we're, we're quite happy to keep, to keep going. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, we're really happy and, and thankful that you joined us today. And uh, yeah, so thanks. Thanks for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. All right, now bugger off, you boring bastard! <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to join us on a on a future uh, what we call deep dive of uh, one of those two albums left? Uh, you can you can talk with us about each track uh, for hours at a time. Yeah, I'll, I'll, adopt, <laughs> I'll adopt the John Rowe, I think, and just. See, the thing is, if I adopt John Rowe, I could actually go and get a haircut, and you wouldn't know, and I'll just come in occasionally and switch the Hoover on, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I've here, I've listened to everything you've said. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. Fantastic. No worries, guys. Thank you very much for that. That was great. All right. Take care. Have a great night, Bruce. Thank Thank you so much. All right, guys. Thank you. See you soon, John. Just fine. Bye-bye. prosper, douchebag.
is this Scorpius? Is it some sort of mythical, mythical sort of minotaur or a creature? There's John, there's John's dog again. Uh, get out of here. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy mutt. <laughs>